Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, today we dive into the world of a remarkable individual whose work embodies the essence of cultural preservation and culinary storytelling. And that's my friend, Lori McCarthy. She's a true cultural food ambassador, educator, and storyteller. Now, Lori's journey is guided by the belief that our stories are meant to be told, embraced, and shared. Through her work, she uncovers the authentic tales of Newfoundland and stories that are etched deep within our communities. She unearths narratives about our home and sparks conversations about Newfoundland, whether that's a TED Talk, a book, a TV show, or in her business. At the heart of Lori's work lies the art of storytelling through food. It's through the flavors, ingredients, and culinary traditions that she weaves a tapestry of authenticity. She envisions a future where her children and grandchildren can savor the foods provided by the land and sea. We had a fantastic conversation, so let's learn more about Lori and her journey. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's so good to see you. It's been a little while, so it's nice that we get a chance to catch back up because you have been really busy lately. For the people that are tuning in, can you tell me a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So like many entrepreneurs, that kind of stuff always evolves, right? It seems to be, you know, this idea of reinventing, rethinking, re-evolving. We use the tone of those words coming out of COVID, but to be honest, as an entrepreneur, as I'm sure you know, it's something that we're always doing, right? So I shut my business when COVID came in. And then when I reopened it, I actually put a lot of thought into what it, I wanted it to be. I had those couple of years and I really wanted to change it. So now what happens is guests come from around the world or guests actually come from Newfoundland. And we spend anywhere from three to six to 12 days together. Sometimes that's done over a whole year. But now it's a cultural food residency. So it looks very different, say, than a tour. So when people come, yeah, we have more time to introduce you to people who are from here. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that we do that really give people an opportunity to leave this place with a better understanding of here and us and the food and why it's all so important to us. So it's incredibly rewarding now. Not that it wasn't before, but I'm really happy with the shift. It's been a, it's been very interesting. No, that's true. And you're located down in Mobile now. So, you know, I'm getting a chance to come down and visit you later so we can go out and you can show me a little bit about that experience. But really that's one of the things I've always really appreciated about your approach is you are very much in the world of it when it comes to the culinary scene of Newfoundland and our cultural foods. So much so that you were recently recognized to represent our province in New York City to give a TED Talk. And this isn't a TEDx. I gave a TEDx. TEDx are amazing, but this is a TED Talk. This is a real deal, big stage, big event. Can you tell me about why you were chosen to do that? Uh, so there was over 300 applications, I was told, from across Canada. And there were 10 ambassadors in each province that submitted people. And I was submitted from here to go and give the talk. And you do the the two-minute intro, you answer the questions, and you send it off to the universe. And you, you know, hope that you get a chance to tell your story of here. Now, this TED Talk was Destination Canada. So this was an opportunity to sort of share with the world what Canada was and the kinds of people that make up Canada and really who we are. So I was one of 14 chosen to go and introduce the world in Newfoundland and Labrador. So it was um, 
yeah, it came kind of with a lot of weight, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, for me, it's live it, sleep it, eat it, breathe it, love it. So I was beyond honored to, you know, to get to speak at this. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's really important when you're a chef, you're a forager, you're an author, and it's all around food, right? But it's so much more than that for you. I feel like with you, it is a connection to the culture, the identity of the people here in Newfoundland and Labrador. How did your talk weave all those things in while you were presenting what we are here? Well, you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure you've written before in that there's this huge thought dump and there's the constraints are pretty tight. It's like nine to 12 minutes is the latest talk right now. And so for, for someone like me who, you know, are not used to giving any kind of formal talks as such, um, that process of how do, how is it that we say the things that are most important, get the points across, and I wanted people to leave with a greater understanding of how special this place is to all of us who get to live here. So it was really from the heart and to the people who have helped me learn to fall in love with this place. And yeah, and that was really intentional. Like I just was writing something else just the other day and speaking about people say, yeah, well, you know, you were, you were born into this. I'm like, well, I was in that I was born into here, but I also, and you know, you, we grew up in the era of the, the collapse of the coffee and we were told stories at that time. And like I say in the TED talk, it was really a time when many of us were told that there was nothing here left for you as a young person and to go away to make a better life. And we were told that in all the love that came from people, they wanted better for us. And so I did feel it was important to say that because moving forward, what I, what I decided to do was to fall in love with here. It was really important to me. So getting that message out was, uh, yeah, was utmost and it wasn't just born in me. It was something I intentionally took on to develop that deep connection to here that I saw the older generation have. And I really wanted to have it. I yeah. really wanted to feel what it, what they felt like about this place. And so, yeah, it was like a real mission, I guess. No, I, I can understand that. You know, for the longest time, I would just hang around St. John's. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one time I, I started getting into going out and camping and hiking and being outside. And I started exploring. I think I've been to every little town in Newfoundland now. And I love it. And I and I appreciate our community so much more as a result of it because you realize that that's where the people live. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's where our, our history comes from. And for you, I mean, you've developed a skill set. Now, so obviously you're 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 an amazing representative for us on a large scale around the country and at events like this TED Talk. But really, you know, when it comes to the food traditions, you've learned from the people in these communities and you're sharing them more than anything. Where did you go? How did you learn? How did you get involved with learning these traditions that, you know, become critical to what you've done? I got in my truck and I drove to the corners of Newfoundland, just like you. And you're again, avid outdoors person. And when you take the time and head forward with that intention to spend time in nature, to spend time with people, whether it's hiking or camping or learning traditions, everything from, you know, learning how to salt fish. I mean, I didn't know how to salt fish, you know, I didn't. I was, first of all, a girl of three boys and at 12 years old and grew up on a farm. And so much of our food was grown and reared and dad fished and he was a teacher. But 
there wasn't a lot of that that was specifically passed on. I think dad said it best when I learned how to butcher lambs. And I said to my dad, I was said, I was so proud to tell him because we left a lamb firm when I was 12 and dad gave it up. And his line was, you know, we kind of didn't do that anymore when times changed and people became more affluent and you were able to buy meat, right? And that to me was like that juxtaposition of, yeah, but wait a minute, I still want to do this. And so many of us have stopped doing things that were such a part of our upbringing and such a part of our culture. And now we, we've kind of lost the value of it. Like, it, like what value does it have? Well, for me, it was like, in order to find that value, I literally got in the truck and I went and sat with everyone who would have a cup of tea with me or share a beer in a shed and show me how to do it. And, you know, you're, you're going in green, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the people are here, like everything starts over a cup of tea and come out until I shows you. Yeah, exactly. Who, who knows you? Where are you from? You know, you know. Your last nine. Who's your water? Yeah. Who knew you? I love that. And so when you got a chance to get on this stage where people from all around the world were listening and tuning in and you got to share a cup of tea with them to tell some stories, what did that feel like to be able to share it and be an ambassador for the province and, and be able to like share a little bit about a very special place that a lot of people don't know about? Um, It came, like I say, really weighted. Like uh, for me, it was very important to me that I gave an accurate representation of Newfoundland, but then a lot of it was Newfoundland and it was my personal story. Uh. So you, for me, I want people to be proud of what I represent to, as Newfoundland Labrador. And that that's really important to me. So, and for me, it's always a story of hope. Like I want to share a new story. I say it all the time. And those new stories, I think, have to involve the past, the present, and the future. And what does it look like? And what are we doing about it? And how are we building stronger communities? So yeah, it was really emotional. And, you know, everybody that spoke, like, it's an incredible community of humans that that they bring together on this like six month journey. And then you have a whole team of, you know, speech coaches and, and, oh my gosh, it was absolutely overwhelming. And by the time you get there, you know, you are saying it in your sleep. You're memorizing it because there's no, oh, um, yeah. there's no teleprompter, so you have to memorize it. <laughs> and you are just taught so much about yourself and how you learn and, you know, the, that piece of it. But to stand there, you feel, I felt very proud. I felt really, you know, super, um, just, you know, it was overwhelming. It was really, it was just, it was a warm, cozy feeling to be able to stand up there and say, this is this place that I'm from. And yes, I'm so lucky that I get to live in this magic place. We're here with Lori McCarthy, author, forager, speaker, TV host, and cultural ambassador. She's sharing her story of how food connects us all in this province and the opportunities we have to preserve our food culture and evolve it with the times. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Lori McCarthy, author, forager, speaker, TV host, and cultural ambassador. She's sharing her story of how food connects us all in the province and what opportunities we have to preserve our food culture and evolve it with the times. Let's get back to the interview. One of the things that I have on my coffee table at home, which I love, is your book, Food Culture Place. 
And I love the title of that book too, because it does really summarize your philosophy towards things. It, it talks about the connections between the seasons and the foods in Newfoundland. You know, why is a seasonal approach to eating something that is, is important to us, or at least in our traditions? Uh, you know, certain foods of here, uh, and I guess it's the same for everywhere, but it seems, you know, if we're, if you're in New York or you're in California, you go to the markets and it just feels like everything's in season all the time, right? Here, and I grew up really close to the land and there was hot in season and there was berry picking season and there was fishing season. And so we really grew up knowing that, well, you get fish now and then if you want fish later, you have to salt the fish because, you know, popping to the store to get fresh cod wasn't that common of a thing. <laughs> you know, if you wanted moose in July, well, you had to get moose in October and then you had to figure out what to do with it so it would last till July. I mean, things like capelin, right? You, capelin comes for a week, two weeks of the year. You get it, you better learn what to do with it. When you're freezing it, are you smoking it, are you salting it, are you corning it? So I think that for Marcia and I, and I co-authored the book with Marcia Tulk, she did all the beautiful photography. It was about capturing an actual, you know, a, a timeline of what it looks like to eat through the seasons because we still do eat really close to the seasons here yeah. for a lot of people, you know? So, and as you, the more you learn about the foods here, the more you realize how easy it is to kind of incorporate all these foods into your your own food system in your house over the year. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, for, for anybody, if you were to give me the Coles Notes version on your book itself, I'm not going to do it justice if I try and describe it, but tell me a little bit about that and where people can find that if they're intrigued by it. Um, Marcia and I really wanted the book, again, to tell a story of, of the seasons in Newfoundland and how we learn what to do with what throughout the seasons. So Marcia's a super skilled cook and into smoking and curing and making most pastrami. So we really wanted to take the ingredients of here and show them in a light that was the, the past, the present, and the future. So yes, there's bottled rabbit, but then there's also rabbit ravioli, yeah. right? And the rabbit ravioli shows up and later in another season when you get to actually enjoy it because it's been bottled. So it was important for us to show in the month of October, the rabbits get caught. And then, then you bottle them and then they're showing up later. So we thought that was a really fun approach. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And you know, that's a big part of it is preserving and preparing foods for, you know, enjoyment later on. What are some of the techniques that are most commonly used here in Newfoundland? You mentioned salting, you know, we you know salt and cod and things like that. You said some bottling and stuff like that. Maybe you can walk me through some of the key ways. Yes. I mean, traditionally we didn't do things like air dry moose or seal or um, pork or any, any of that stuff really. Um, I can't find any history of really air drying so one of the things that we were really passionate about putting in the book was things that we were doing today that weren't done before. So that is a collection of things like, you know, Marcia makes a mousse mortadella and she does these cod boudin blanc fish cakes that are vacuum packed and we take on the road with us and we're camping. And so it's a real collection of things that you might not have thought to do with the ingredients of here. So 
yes, it's the cultural food here, but it's also a way that we can put it on the table today and maybe a way that we can eat it that wasn't previously thought about before. So we're really challenging some of the ideas around what can be done with a particular ingredient. And that was really fun and creative and whether we were picking periwinkles and playing the scallops and so sort of that idea of, yes, we know we can do this with it. Well, what can we do with it if we incorporate flavors from the land? And and yeah, so it it was a really, you know, it was really a way to show it in a different light, we hope. And there's lots of traditional stuff in there too. Well, you know what else I really like about the book too, is that I know Marsha as well. Uh, obviously, she's put her personal touch in how she did the photography of it, but also the personal narrative. You know what I mean? Like having... Your perspective as authors and creative people, that was really important to that. Why was it important for you to just not make a cookbook of Newfoundland things or even with even if they're introducing new ideas? Why was it important to have your story weaved into that? I think, uh, you know, it's best described by we wanted to show a human connection to food. We both did. We wanted to show that there was a passing on of knowledge, you know, so many of the photographs in the book are from Marcia's family growing up on the West Coast, like the generation, her grandfather's generation, her father's generation, and especially one of the pieces where she speaks about salmon fishing and what that was like, or the lobster canning on the West Coast. And so it was really important for us to give value to the practices and the industries and how it kind of came to be. Mm. And that personal narrative for us, we wanted people to be able to connect to it, connect to the photographs, right? Like we often hear people say, and it's like one of the best compliments are like, yeah, it lives on my coffee table. And when people come over, they'll pick it up and it, it sparks everyone's conversation. And that is one of the things that um, I can honestly say, I don't know if we intentionally did, but after it became such a conversation piece, we hear all the time. And that to me is is the most important thing almost of the whole book, that it is inviting conversations between generations, bringing people together, taking the time to bring up memories of the stuff that you did and how you grew up. And that is exactly how we keep all this alive. We keep talking about it. We keep doing it and cooking it and eating it and having fires and, you know, and collecting capelin and hunting moose and so yeah it was um it's the best it's the best stories we hear when we run into people and they're like oh you know so and so came home from toronto and we sat and talked all about blah 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 and we're like yes we're here with Lori mccarthy author forager speaker tv host and cultural ambassador She's sharing her story of how food connects us all in this province and the opportunities we have to preserve our food culture and evolve it with the times. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Lori McCarthy, author, forager, speaker, TV host, and cultural ambassador. She's sharing her story of how food connects us all in the province and what opportunities we have to preserve our food culture and evolve it with the times. Let's get back to the interview. Well, and then, then the person in Toronto, you can be like, well, listen, if you want to learn more about what Lori does, you can turn on Bell TV and you can watch her TV show <laughs> on the topic I've been carefully navigating around, but you know, I'm very interested in love it. And that's the concept of foraging. So you have a television show about foraging, but maybe you can give me a bit of a background on 
how you became a forager. How do you, you know, how, how does somebody get into that? Because you, you've made that be a huge part of your career. Yeah. Um, so my guy started cooking in restaurants when I was probably 14 or 15 and cooked in restaurants for, you know, really long time, like 20 years in restaurants, personal chef and catering and doing all of it. And I think it was, you know, became clear that when I wanted to have a family, that that lifestyle and those hours, it wasn't something that I was going to continue doing. I loved it, but I wanted to sort of take a step back from it and focus on having a family. And Maria was a young child. Like, I remember when I got the backpack and I remember reading on the backpack, you know, can't put the child in for six months. So before that, she was strapped on my front. And as soon as I can get her the backpack, it was like, hit the road running. But when she was really young, like I spent a lot of time still staying really in touch with the food world and the chefs I'd met. And there was a sense that I like really longed to be a part of it. And I missed the socialization. I miss the, you know, working in team and all that stuff. So I was falling in love with the industry sort of globally from the couch, <laughs> you know, yeah. from magazines and chef shows. And to say the least, there was a a rise of foraging globally in chefs from Denmark to Sweden to Ireland to all these places where I was looking at chefs who were taken from the land and put it on the plates in a way that people could experience it in a different light. And so I started learning to forage. I'm like, we have this amazing landscape. We have this beautiful untouched landscape that, you know, as long as we pick from it and harvest from it sustainably and carefully with great care and respect, we can put this on plates so people from around the world can get an idea of the gamut of what can come from the land. And that became just like this addictive challenge to me. I would speak to chefs who were coming here from all around the world to work here. And, you know, they would show me a plant on their phone and like they're from Germany. And do you know this plant? And I would say, yes, I know lots of that plant. Can you eat it? And they would say, yes. Can you get it? And I was like, yes. <laughs> it was it's like, wicked. So there became this incredible excitement, this collaborative learning process. And then I would bring them something from here that I knew we could eat. I didn't know what to do with it, but they would then take it and learn what to do with it. And it was just such, a, I don't know, it was this beautiful passing of knowledge back and forth that made the plants of here with global applications. And yeah. anyway, it was just crazy fun. And that's how I got into it. And I started collecting it and putting it on plates in restaurants. Yeah, I love that. And then you got recognized for your ability to teach and share that because, you know, foraging, you have to be careful. Some people don't know what they're picking and you got to be careful with that. And people may not realize that you've done a television show. So of all your episodes, and I've seen them all, I binge watched them when it first came out. I loved it. And what was your favorite one? What was your favorite place to go? Because you went to different spots each time and cooked different things. What was your favorite view? Yeah, I, I kind of um, laid out the shows, you know, based on the honeypot of whatever was growing in that place. <laughs> so I think one of the, you know, one of the shows I really loved was uh, the muscle picking one. Mm -hmm. Because when you speak of, you know, flavors and foraged ingredients, so this was wild mussels. And then I steam them on a bed of kelp that they grow in. And then there's sea rocket that grows on the beach and you make a sea rocket aioli. And so all of a sudden there becomes this completely different pantry. And now I have this like wild pantry of 
flavors that never existed before. So in a place like here that, you know, very little grows for nine months of the year, I was able to figure out how to take some of the traditional preservation techniques of here and what I learned from chefs coming from around the world and apply the same applications and then preserve these flavors so I'm able to eat them year round. So all of a sudden you have a completely different, it's like a painter with a whole new palette of colors that never existed before until you started mixing them. But for me, this was an incredible pantry, like a wild pantry. Like yesterday I was out picking spruce tips and they are beautiful and bright and vibrant right now. And we've had this cold spring, so they haven't rushed out and I brought them home and I mixed them with salt and some with sugar. And now I have rimmer for my cocktails and flavors that I can put on rabbit and game. And so it is super exciting. So it was just this crazy curiosity to what can I find? What can I eat? How can I identify it? Yeah. And then of course, how do I pass it on? Because there's yeah. no point in holding it on. The point of all this is to make sure it gets passed on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, that's, a, that's a really entertaining way to do it because I think that what you do with that visual medium, you talk about speeches and if slides are visuals there, of course, and you had your book, but this is an opportunity for you to be able to speak, have the visual and do what you love all at one time. And it's like a really great form of education. I'm thinking from a health perspective right now, obviously being a health radio show, we're talking about foods that are natural as can be. We're talking about being out in nature. Was there a sort of a vein of health that sort of runs through the stuff that you did and, and that you do? Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, for another time, you and I can sit around and have lots of conversations about our food systems and our our diets and um but the ability to be able to still hunt and forage and harvest properly from my backyard, um, you know, within two hours of my physical location, I can get enough food to take a lot of meals out of the industrial food chain. And to be honest, like, I don't really talk about that much, but it is, is so important to me from a health perspective. We won't go there in terms of industrially raised animals, but we have the ability and this doesn't work in every ecosystem. And I think that's always really important to say, it's not that I think that we can all eat like this globally because we know we can't, right? I can't eat like this if I lived in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't eat like this if I lived in lots of places. So you always have to take into account the ecosystem that you're in. So I'm in an ecosystem and we are where it's like this huge privilege where I get to eat this healthy. Should I choose to, should I churn, you know, should learning that knowledge is important to me and the work that it takes to eat like this is important not to do it to me. So I do absolutely from a health perspective, like I've been out fishing for three nights in a row and I have more than 10 meals of trout for my suppers now, like for the next two or three months. If I can put now one meal of trout in every week and one meal of cod and one meal of moose. And so it's a gamut of food that comes from here that is so, like I can go out in my yard and pick enough to make a salad for supper. We're here with Lori McCarthy, author, forager, speaker, TV host, and cultural ambassador. She's sharing her story of how food connects us all in this province and the opportunities we have to preserve our food culture and evolve it with the times. We'll be right back after the break.
Welcome back. We're here with Lori McCarthy, author, forager, speaker, TV host, and cultural ambassador. She's sharing her story of how food connects us all in the province and what opportunities we have to preserve our food culture and evolve it with the times. Let's get back to the interview. I've talked to lots of people about food security. There are challenges here with certain things. However, we do have this enormous amount of forged food. We do have the ability to go fish, go hunt. And I just got back from a trip and, you know, I was all over the place and I was in some very industrialized countries. And I've never been so happy to get off a plane and feel that cold, wet, foggy air hit me, take a big old deep breath of clean air and just be like, wow, I'm home. And, you know, and, and to appreciate that what we have doesn't exist anywhere else. You can't go camp on a random cliff anywhere else in the world. You can't go wander around the woods and not worry about a grizzly bear eating you, you know, and, and you can't stick a hook off a rock and catch a fish. So, yeah, I think that's, I think there is something to be said about that. But I do think that having people like yourself that share that, that it's attainable, that you can learn it or relearn it, you know, that's been lost for generations. So I guess, you know, what would you encourage people when it comes to tapping into, if, especially if they're from Newfoundland, you know, that sort of traditional way of, of looking at food and maybe embracing some of those habits, even on a small scale? Well, it's kind of interesting because again, like it was talking about my dad, you know, there's a lot of the, the generation will say, you know, sure, we you, you don't have to do that anymore, right? You don't, we don't have to rear lambs anymore like we did because you can buy good lamb now from New Zealand, right? And you don't have to grow vegetables anymore because you can go into supermarket and get vegetables from everywhere. So yes, you can, and we can do all that. And here, you know, close to the city of St. John's or close to the city of Winterbrook or in major cities, we can. But we all know what happens in rural Newfoundland. We know what happens in rural Labrador. We know that accessibility to food and that food insecurity is a very big piece of living on this island and in Labrador and remote. Right. So when we look at the cost of putting healthy food on our table and you look at replacing, yeah, like, what is it, seven ninety nine a pound for asparagus? I could pick enough dandelion in this one month to put a green on my plate twice a week for a whole year, no problem. Now, you know, again, comes the desire to want to start to do it, but there are some great books out there. There are some great people out there, people like Sean Dawson, people like Dan Rubin, showing people how to grow something simple as growing potatoes in last year's winter tires that are packed full of dirt. I mean, we can come up with all the barriers to this and um, and we all can and the weather and this, but it's start small. I mean, you already know five plants that you can eat from your lawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it starts small and talk to people. Well, I'm doing a bit of an experiment this summer. I think I showed you a picture uh, before we started about the garden. Those uh, logs are came from felled trees. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, I had to pay to get the wood cut, but made that garden there. And I'm trying to see how much money I'd save because obviously I eat healthy. It's expensive. It's very expensive for a lot of people. And that's one of the things that I struggle with in the show is trying to address those socioeconomic challenges that a lot of people have. I'm seeing how much cheaper it is to grow it myself while I'm also getting a bit of selectivity in a way that I've never exercised. Now, can, am I scared about growing stuff this summer? Yeah. I had Nathan Gidge on recently who's from uh, Kingfisher Farms. He's helping me navigate this process. I'm going to share that story. But like, okay. I'm also really excited to see what we can do. And I know from our conversations in the past, once you know what to do, 
then you can, there's unlimited things around. So if I was listening to this, maybe you definitely got me excited about things. Somebody else listening, they're excited. What resources would you point them to, to start to learn more about foraging and the foods we have in our province? I mean, Peter Scott has written a good book on edible Newfoundland. Sean Dawson's written a great book on, on edible wild plants in Newfoundland. Ross Travers speaks of growing small, like, this winter, it was Christmas Eve, I hauled 15 pounds of carrots out of my garden, and that was carrots for January, February, March for me. Wow. Cool. Um, yeah, so resources like that, there's um, the Food Producers Forum. The library puts off workshops. It is in our communities. It is happening. It is happening in little tiny communities. Everyone from beekeepers and people who are working on the labrador freezer projects with food first and there is endless ways and it's just maybe it's branching out of your familiar maybe it's starting to go to some of these forums and listening to people who are living like this and eating like this and it's not to say that you're going to replace your whole freezer or your whole fridge but maybe you will actually be surprised like you are and how enjoyable the whole process is. Yeah. And it all comes back to, like you said, the people that you meet in your community and you build slowly this community of people. It's not, how am I going to do it? I say it's always, who am I going to find? So it's yeah. not the how, it's the who, right? Just find the who do I need to bring together to learn the stuff I need to learn. <laughs> I agree completely. No, that's great. And you know, if somebody wants to learn from you, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, get you to share your details about how they can reach out to you and your business to, to learn more and maybe spend some time learning from you. Yeah, so the residency program runs year-round now. So whether you're learning to make sausages or we're berry picking, I'm foraging all season and learning to bottle and salt fish and all that stuff. So the residency program, you can find me in Food Culture Place on Instagram, Lori at Food Culture Place foodcultureplace.ca. <laughs> yeah. So just, it's, um, yeah. And, you know, I have such a amazing community of people that I call on to jump in, you know, whether it's Alex Blagden, who is, or sorry, she's a Shaw now, Alex, and she runs the Aller Cottage and she teaches foraging classes and lessons and cooking. And, you know, Tina White runs a, runs a company now, Nature Minded. She does foraging and, and, so there's just an amazing community out there. I mean, the Homesteaders Facebook page. So there's a whole world and just like dive in. I love how I try and ask you about your business and you promote other people. It's just <laughs> so you, and that's what's so lovely about you. And, and which is so good because you do want to share your information with people. I'm going to brag for you as well. You know, you want a great gift. People go check out the book, Food Culture Place. It's amazing. And see Lori in action in her element. Be sure to tune into Bell 5 and check out East Coast Forge. It's a great show. And also you were on our, our television show as well. So, you know, you're always, you're, you're out and about and you're helping people and you're sharing your knowledge. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks Mike for having me. It's a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you to Lori for joining us today. I loved our conversation and we learned all about her journey as an entrepreneur and the evolution of her culinary ventures, particularly her shift towards cultural food residencies. Now, because of Lori's recent accomplishments, she was chosen to give a TED Talk in New York City as an ambassador for the province. During her talk, she shared stories and experiences that allowed her to share the things that make Newfoundland and Labrador special. 
Now, when it comes to her art, she expressed how foraging not only provides a diverse palette of flavors, but also promotes a closer connection to nature and healthier eating habits. Lori emphasized the importance of sustainability and respect for the land when foraging. And so for those of you that are looking for a great gift, I'd highly recommend checking out her book, Food Culture Place. I have this book and it captures the essence of eating with the seasons and preserving food in a way that maintains a connection to the past, but also builds a sustainable future. Lori has a strong commitment to preserving these culinary traditions. And to learn more about her work, you can visit her Instagram page at Food Culture Place or her website, foodcultureplace.com. And be sure to check out her new TV show on Bell 5 TV One called East Coast Forager. Well, thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.